it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy President's Day. Pick a favorite president. Call in. Tell me why. No matter what you uh, are going to talk about, lead with that. one 408 7669 I think it's kind of cool there's going to be an official observance of President's Day at George Washington's uh, birthplace in Mount Vernon, where he is actually buried. Or uh, what, is it, what do they call it, Allison, when they put you in something, but they don't actually bury you? Do we know what that is, Eric? Yeah, interred. So you could walk in and st- I actually stood by his casket. And it's kind of uh, kind of interesting. That's all I got. Uh, I don't mean to depress you, but the pres- our president of the United States was in Kiev. So there's a lot to report today, a lot of news, and there's a lot of opinions. Britt Hume will provide it, a lot of insight, and Steve Harrigan live from Kiev in 15 minutes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The monitoring equipment that they're using to determine things that are safe uh, doesn't give us chemical specificity. It doesn't tell us what chemicals are present. It just says they're below some level. There's plenty of chemicals that can be created from that fire that can be toxic at much lower levels. Isn't that uh, inviting? Johns Hopkins professor of environmental health uh, saying you're not really testing for the right things. uh, East Palestine anxiety. Pressure is growing in the federal government to step up and Governor DeWine to do something productive as FEMA finally shows up to a degree and the scrutiny continues to go about trains and rail and those idiots blaming Donald Trump for this. Number two. We are very concerned that China is considering providing lethal support to Russia in its aggression against Ukraine. Uh, and I made clear that that would have uh, serious consequences uh, in our relationship. Here you go. China's looking for a fight. That's the only way to describe their defiance and arrogance in Munich, beginning and not ending with balloon gate as they consider lethal aid to Russia. When is this administration and our entire nation going to realize that we're in a Cold War already? There could be a hot one. We'll break it down. Number one. One year later... Kiev stands, and Ukraine stands, democracy stands, the Americans stand with you, and the world stands with you. Yep, uh, war, about a year in. President Biden surprising the world when he showed up in Kiev this morning, the stakes, the fight, and the need, uh, on what, and the needs, and what we have to do to make sure Ukraine prevails. And I'm not saying they have to take Crimea but to take their land back that they lost, the most, uh, the most productive land, the most industrious land, part of their country, what they got to do is get attackums, long-range missiles, HIMARS, were game changers, attackums would add to that, push the Russians even further back, more than likely take out the Wagner Group more specifically, and give them F-15s, F-16s. What are we waiting for? You said you weren't going to give HIMARS, we gave HIMARS. You said you weren't going to give Patriots, we're going to give Patriots. You said you weren't going to give tanks, we're going to give tanks. Why are the, you getting caught up in this bureaucratic mess and malaise? Time is not on our side here. There's more Russians to bleed out than there are Ukrainians. They hit every single power station. They've hit over 600 hospitals and clinics. 
and the Ukrainians keep fighting. And we are giving them a lot. I get it to you. But let's get them what they need to be successful. So the president does do a very courageous thing. Uh, evidently, they called uh, they called Moscow ahead of time and said the president's going to Kiev. He hopped on a train. He went there. Here's Joe Biden. Cut one. One year later, Kiev stands. And Ukraine stands. Democracy stands. The Americans stand with you. And the world stands with you. So he talked about pledges. You know, we got to get we got tanks in there, but not enough. He's got to get some leopard tanks in there and got to be do it quickly. And what you got to do, too, is just do the contracts. For example, if Lithuania, if Latvia, if Estonia, if Luxembourg, these smaller nations, they are the Poland. They are actively doing everything possible because they see their future in Ukraine. If they steamroll Ukraine, they're going to take these little countries in a day. So. If you just pledge to get them to back them up with more American material, which they will pay for weaponry, they'll be start giving up more, as will Germany, I imagine, and others. Germany's got to pick it up. They should be called out. Combined, Europe has given $4 billion. We've given $170 billion. How could that be okay? Meanwhile, we pledged another $500 million, and this is President Biden cut for. Unchecked aggression. Is a threat to all of us. We united the leading economies of the world to impose unprecedented costs that are squeezing Russia's economic lifelines. Together, we've committed nearly 700 tanks and thousands of armored vehicles. Right. Uh, listen, as we learned last week, I didn't even know this. The Marines gave up all their tanks. They don't want them. Why are they not in Ukraine? And we'll bill them for them later. It's an industrious country. They're more than happy to pay us back. Why are they not there? They're mothballed. Uh, there's evidently A-60 tanks that are pretty much 1990s generation. They're, the Abrams supplanted them. Why are they not there? Show them how to use them. Train them. These guys and these women are unbelievably adept by all accounts. The Russians are not. They've lost over 200,000 and more hundreds of thousands have left the country rather than serve the country. Just pick up and left. As I mentioned, every power plant has been hit. Uh, meanwhile, they're currently the country has four hours on, four hours up, off because they got a ration power. But they're still sticking it out. So for Zelensky, as appreciative as he is, he's got to walk a fine line. Here's what he said. Cut seven. We need to hurry up. We need the speed, speed of our agreements, speed of our delivery to strengthen our sling, speed of decisions to limit Russian potential. Yes, he's trying to be diplomatic, but it's very hard to be diplomatic when most of the people who are dying, you know. So Anthony Blake was asked about this, and I'm not going to play the whole dialogue, but he's asked about this. You know, they were asking for F-16s. We just give it to them. Well, why are you deciding what they need? They're in the fight. They know their military. They know the terrain. You should have input, absolutely. I mean, we're the best. We build the best, we fight the best, and we have the most. But when the Ukrainians are actually doing the fighting, they say, this is what we need. I'm pretty sure the Secretary of State, who uh, is a diplomat and spends the rest of his time as uh, playing in a band, I believe he's a rhythm guitarist, Anthony Blinken, cut nine. They say they need fighter jets. They say so, they need speed. They say they need uh, longer-range missiles. So you say you, you're sending them what you think, not what they think they need. 
No, we're in very close collaboration and coordination with the Ukrainians precisely on this question of what do they need at any given time. But what's very important is this. Uh, what we should not do, any of us, is to focus or get fixated on any particular weapon system because the weapon system itself, as important as it is, is not, uh, is not sufficient. Um, you have to make sure that um, Ukrainians are trained on the systems that are being provided. You have to make sure that they can maintain them. If they're not trained on them, okay. they can't. I mean, I don't want to insult anyone listening right now. Obviously, we got to train them. We're training them on the Patriot missiles right now. We trained them on the HIMARS. They're in, they're in theater already. We trained them with the harpoons and the javelins. Got it? We understand it. They know that to tr- do it. And evidently, along with the training comes the maintenance information. You could, the answer is, I'm not, if you really want an answer, I'm not giving them F-15s. The president doesn't want to do it. Why? Uh, he doesn't want to get involved in air power. I don't know. He doesn't want to. He's afraid they're going to bomb Moscow, whatever his reason. But don't say, well, the problem is they got to train him on it. We know that. Oh, the problem is they got a maintenance set. No kidding. It's just uh, so far a year in, you see that the Ukrainians are so close to making history, so close to sending a message that will keep Russia in check for the next maybe 20, 30 years. And maybe we might luck out and get a normal leader of Russia and they'll realize they could be a partner, not an adversary. And then we could focus on China. But right now we have to be replenishing. Right now we have to be replenishing all our stocks. And right now we have to have make sure all this stuff is audited. I know there was a few firings last week where people felt as though when these uh, arms are being resold, whatever it was, these people were fired and they were brought out. Listen, when it came to the invasion in Iraq and Afghanistan, we had problems with our own people. Let alone when we give arms to other people uh, on the neighboring country and then they got to jettison them, them into theater. A lot can go wrong on the way. So we just got to make sure to limit it because if stuff starts getting in the wrong hands, that's when the American people leave this, uh, leave this conflict in droves. Listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to give you a chance to talk, and we have Steve Harrigan next uh, from Kiev, then Britt Hume, to put it all in perspective. I did, we did have a chance to talk to Governor Ron DeSantis. He is in Staten Island today on his Salute to Police tour. It's very on the, on the heels, on the launch of his new book, which is all about him. Uh, so we'll give you some of 2024, too. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's really the most important visit or the whole history of Ukraine-U.S. relationship. This is the visit and this most difficult period for Ukraine when Ukraine is fighting for our own liberty, for the liberties of the world. 
these conversations brings us closer to the victory. And we hope that this year, the 2023, will become a year of victory, this unprovoked and criminal Russia's war against Ukraine and against the whole world and democratic world has to end with uh, liberating the whole of uh, Ukraine's territory from Russia's occupation. So that's the translation of Vladimir Zelensky, uh, because the president of the United States showed up there today uh, by train. Uh, and then he has since left. Steve Harrigan chronicled it all. It was there covering it. Steve, uh, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. So what is it like now on the ground? Is there a fear that they're going to try to send a message after the president's left and start hitting Kiev again? You're exactly right. There's a fear that there's going to be a payback for this outstanding photo op by the president here in Kiev. Putin's going to want revenge, that he's going to fire a lot of missiles against the entire country. There is that fear. How, uh, where are the patriots at? How's the, where's the missile defense at for the capital and, and the surrounding areas? The capital is still an active war zone. It has been hit not nearly as badly as the fighting that goes on in the east, but we are still seeing apartment buildings hit and still seeing infrastructure, electricity hit as well. So, it's still an active war zone that he went into. You know, they get a lot of the missiles coming in, but not all of them. And also sometimes MiGs take off. That air raid siren actually sounded while Biden was coming out of St. Michael's Monastery. So, you know, they told the Russians before he was coming, though. The White House did say that. But the real payback might come later, as you suggest. Right. So uh, here's a little bit of uh, the president's remarks. Cut three. And just today, that announcement includes... Artillery ammunition for HIMARS and howitzers, more javelins, anti-armor systems, air surveillance radars to help protect Ukrainian people from aerial bombardments. Later this week, we will announce additional sanctions against elites and companies that are trying to evade sanctions and backfill Russia's war machine. Okay, uh, like who's trying to do that? Some of our enemies like Iran, uh, like India, who's not technically an enemy, they have... They're taking advantage of the West leaving Russia and buying up the stores and buying up the oil and gas, which is, to me, unbelievable that we have not put a massive amount of pressure on them. So when you look at Ukraine now, I guess when you go back and forth like you do, Steve, what is the thing that you notice most? I guess uh, I would be concerned about irrational exuberance and hope that this is going to end quickly and end positively for Ukraine. I just have a, a knowledge of the other side, and they've been inefficient. It's been disastrous. There's been failure, but they've got oil money, and they've got a lot of people, and they've got a dictator. The people aren't protesting. The economy hasn't sunk, and they're not going away. They're not going anywhere. We're, we're saying we're going to be there to the end, but Biden's not going to be there to the end. Someone else is going to be there after him, and $30 billion is a lot of money. How long is that going to keep flowing? Uh, I'm, I still have long-term fears. I think a lot of people say there's a window for Ukraine, and that window is about a year. If, if they're going to win, they've got to do it this year. The, uh, on the battlefield, taking back Kherson, taking back uh, portions of Kharkiv, the word is they're preparing for an offensive in the spring when more of those tanks arrive. What is actually happening? I think there's an attempt at an offensive by Russia in the east, and they really wanted a victory to hold up to the world, maybe take Bakhmut or take another city 
of importance in the East, and they haven't been able to pull it off. Just slaughter on both sides with artillery. And when you talk to people on the front lines, they say, you know, it's not like the wounds are bullet holes. The wounds are from artillery, so people are cut in half by it. And towns and villages are simply disappearing. But Putin did not get that victory. And instead, we're seeing, you know, a real show of solidarity here and a boost for Ukraine's morale here on the ground with the presence of Biden today. We also know uh, they're being trained right now on these uh, Patriot missile systems. How close are they to being deployed and what would it mean for most of these major cities when they do go in? I think it would mean a tremendous amount because Russia is targeting infrastructure deliberately. They're targeting not just hospitals or apartment buildings, but also electricity. They're trying to break the will of the people. And, uh, you know, it hasn't worked yet. But those defenses systems, part of it announced today by Biden, he said $500 million. Part of it's going to be radar defenses to try and protect the Ukraine's infrastructure from these attacks. That could go a long way. And that's something, you know, People are hoping for. They've been living really in fear with air raid sirens for a year. And we heard more today. And as you mentioned, we could hear more tonight. How fractured are they politically? We know they got the Proshenko, who was the former president, defeated by Zelensky. We never see Klitschko and Zelensky together. We never see Proshenko and Zelensky together. Can you give us an idea of the political situation? Are they working together? Are they pulling in the same direction? You know, I think overall... I think there is unity. I think this has backfired for Putin trying to drive a wedge in between Ukrainians or trying to, you know, draw on favor for Russia from Ukrainians. I think overall, this is a country that knows it's fighting for its life. While there might be disagreements or egos inside baseball, I think overall, this is a war for Ukraine's existence, its survival as a country. So my sense is, that people are pulling together and people are backing the current leadership. And this leadership has enjoyed success on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah I mean, it seems like they Right fu- now, they've right. been winning. So, it's, uh, Steve, I understand that uh, Elon Musk is pulling back on his Starlink system that was allowing the Ukrainians to uh, continue to communicate. Uh, he says, I don't want to extend the war. How, be- how, how big a deal is that? I think it really depends on who you ask. I think Musk would probably say he's still going to provide services. But I think the concern about a widening war is legitimate. You have now warnings to China from Secretary of State Blinken that China might begin to provide lethal aid to Russia. Well, then this war fundamentally changes. We've got China and Russia then against the U.S. and Europe. And this is just a, a killing field with superpowers behind each side uh it's it's you know it's incredibly dangerous and when you have one guy in charge of a country there is a risk of a nuclear attack if his right. back is against the wall if they do well, you know we'll take see. crimea or try to take crimea if they fire yeah. into steve harrigan thanks so much if he's suicidal Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Governor, I know that Tim Scott's on a listening tour, and last week Nikki Haley formally went in. We know the former president, Child Trump, is in. What is your timeline to decide if that's the next best thing for you and your family to, for you to run for president? Well, I've got two big things coming up, Brian. One, I have a book coming out on yes. February 28th. And then on uh, March 8th, I have our legislative session that's kicking off. So I think, as you know, we won a big victory in Florida, which is great, you know, for the governor. But we have super majorities in the legislature. So you're going to see. I think people look at Florida. They're like, man, the governor's gotten a lot done. And we have more proud of it. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is <laughs> going to be the most productive legislative session we have had across the board, and I think people are going to be really excited. So, so those are what we're going to be doing um, over these next few months. As we get beyond that, then, then we can decide from there. And that sounds like a guy that says, uh, if you think that I have my whole, all my victories lined up yet, no, I got the best yet to come. If you like my resume now, it's going to be even better. I think unless something unforeseeable happened, he's running. But the man with all the experience on this and knows how to read between the lines better than anybody else is Britt Hume, Fox News' senior political analyst. And you got the word senior, uh, Britt, not because you're old. It's because no one knows more than you. <laughs> well, I wish it were true. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. Can you read between the lines on what he told me today? What do you think? Well, he sounds it, like a guy I running. If you, just look, if you look at the, uh, the events he's outlined, the legislative session, he now has a big majority in the, in the legislature in Florida. Um, a book that's going to come out, which is a very common thing that presidential candidates yep. do. They publish a kind of a political memoir um, setting forth their sort of a manifesto of what they believe and what they say they've achieved and all that. These are all the kinds of things you do if you're running. Uh, he remains, I think, uh, open to the possibility of not running, um, and he's going to let these other candidates, you know, only two now, do what they're going to do. He has so far managed, I think, with some skill to deflect the attacks on him from Donald Trump, which are sure to intensify. Um, so we'll see. But um, uh, he's in a pretty good position at the moment. Uh, he is. Uh, a lot of people I was reading today are saying that some say he's uh, in danger of overdoing the woke stuff. Is there a change of uh, generally of going too culture oriented in a time in which pre- there's a lot of practical things people want done? I don't think so. I think you know you can you can you can do more than that, and he will be able to. You know, this legislative session uh, and his enormous uh, electoral victory uh, in the in the midterm elections um, will will give him uh, you know plenty to talk about besides woke culture. But I think he's decided that he's going to make that whole uh, uh, fight against 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 woke culture a cornerstone of his campaign i think that's something that he's figured is going to work for him and he's and he will be you know so far the leading potential candidate talking about this it was i found fascinating last week and it was a real boost for nikki haley she announces has a good role out of my view and i know i think she's very formidable not many people agree with me on that i don't i just think that she's better at performance she's got the substance she doesn't have to perform she knows this stuff cold and you may not agree with her. I think her biggest challenge is where does she separate from President Trump without losing his voters? But she also got a gift from Whoopi Goldberg going after her and then Don Lemon uh, going, you know, almost destroying his career in the process. Here's what she said about that. Cut 38. I have always made liberals' heads explode. And the reason is they can't stand a minority female conservative being um, not being a Democrat. And what I will tell you is the reason that bothers them is they know I bring in independents. They know I pull in suburban women and minorities. But it's more than that. You know, they don't understand the fact that 
Look, I had, when I ran for governor, they did the same thing. They said I wasn't a minority. I was just a conservative with a tan. These threats are going to continue to happen, but I know conservative policies are the right ones because we focus on lifting up all families, not a select few. And we're going to double down on that. And I think that more people are with us. So how do you think she handled week one? And, and do, you like, do you like her message? I, look, I think Nikki Haley is, is, is you're right. She'll have she'll have a she'll be a formidable candidate. I think she was a good idea for her to get in now, um, because you know, what what she says and does would be more newsworthy than it otherwise would be the case as she as she campaigns. Um, however, I think when you mentioned that you know his her challenge of trying to hold on to Trump voters. Uh, while running against him is much harmed. The difficulty of it is, is that she said that she wouldn't run, and she said this on the record. There's videotape of it. Uh, uh, we'll hear a lot about it. She said if he ran, she wouldn't. So she, he announces that he's running, and who's the first person after that to come <laughs> out and announce? Yeah. Nikki Haley. I think that's a burden she'll have to figure out a way to overcome. So today uh, we woke up to the fact that President Biden was in Kiev and then walked the streets with President Zelensky. Uh, I love the move. Do you? I do. Um, you know, I, someone wrote, I guess our colleague Byron York was saying it was reckless for him to go. I would say it was risky, but perhaps not reckless, but it took guts. And I think he deserves credit for doing it. So uh, we are one year into the war. Uh, Zelensky has fought uh, courageously. The Ukrainians fought uh, amazingly. But people worry if both sides are going to try to bleed each other out, there's more Russians to bleed than there is Ukrainians. Steve Harrigan speculated moments ago that we got a year. You have a year with everybody's support, and then the people are going to start hedging. What do you think? Well, I think there will be a danger of war weariness setting in, but as long as American soldiers are not dying, um, I think that the support for sending weapons to Ukraine will hold. The question I think that is that is brought into focus here is, are we, are we de- dealing with the weapons to Ukraine in the right way? Are we sending them in a timely way? Or are we trickling them in uh, at a pace that guarantees the continuation of the war and makes it difficult for the Ukrainians, uh, outnumbered as they are, to mount the kind of a counteroffensive that would that that might bring Russia to say, "Okay, this isn't worth the candle," and I think that's an open question. No question. Uh, what China's done with this balloon, in our response, uh, taking out uh, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade was it something that really doesn't make us look great. But not only were they not contrite when meeting in Munich, they were bragging that we asked for the meeting, and they basically asked Anthony Blinken for an apology, uh, where he said, let's set up communication where this doesn't happen again, and while warning them, you better not do that again. Then I see this morning there was a, uh, there was a balloon spotted, we don't know where it's from, in Hawaii. How would you characterize our relationship now with China? Well, it's pretty it's pretty tense right now. Um, and what worries me is the sort of the farcical nature of how we responded to this. You know, oh the, the I, I think there's a distinct possibility that this is a balloon that flew off course. Um, I'm, I would you know I can't believe anything they say. They say it's a weather balloon. You know, you can't you can't accept that at face value. The Chinese, I mean. Um, but I could, it's a balloon that blew off course. Remember, they apologized for it at first. They said they were sorry it happened. Remember that. And and so when we finally shoot it down, okay, that's fine, and maybe we'll learn something from it. 
There's too much we don't know, though, Brian. I mean, we don't know how much we were able to block the balloon from gathering intelligence. We don't know how much intelligence we gleaned from watching the balloon operate over our territory. We don't know how much intelligence we gleaned from from the remnants of the thing after it was shot down. We don't know any of that. And we don't know what in the world the things that we subsequently shot down over a period of days. We don't even know what those things were. So it looks a little comical. It was almost like some blanket order was given us, don't pay anything, see anything up there, ah. shoot it down. Um, and then we ended up shooting down, you know, possibly some hobby clubs <laughs> balloon. I mean, that 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 just speaks chaos, not strength. Yes, uh, it's not just any hobby shop, uh, hobby club. It's the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, Brad. I don't mean to correct you on live radio, but I think you should get it right because we have to neutralize that threat. We don't know well, if the bottle cap think- gang is going to strike again. Yeah, but but Brian, we don't even know if that was their balloon. We think we do. They they're missing a balloon, and we shot something down. So there, it, it's a distinct possibility. But it's one of these. The trouble with this story from the beginning is there was too much we didn't know, and there's still too much we don't know. So where we're heading now um, with with China is a cold war that could be a hot war. I mean, basically, there's their belligerence, as jo- Josh Rogan writes. Their belligerence in front of the whole world made it clear who the aggressor is. They just won in front in Munich, and they went up there and and talked about how everyone's got them wrong and that we should back out. And they basically exposed themselves having a temper tantrum in front of the world. And I think that's one of the positive things, as he writes, that happened. He writes this. On the bright side, Wang's belligerence and cockiness to Munich seem to have woken up the European leaders to the perils of dealing with today's Chinese Communist Party. So Blinken's outreach did have one small victory, at least now. The rest of the world can see what the United States is not the obstacle. Small gain, big well, gain. Well, I, yeah, I hope that's true. Uh, the struggle for American presidents going back for a long time now has been to awaken Europe to meet its defense responsibilities. Um, and the Europeans have been stubborn and consistent in refusing to do so. Um, you know, Germany seemed to embark on a new turn. It was going to increase its defense budget markedly. And now it seems to be, um, you know, flaking out on that fa- and, uh, and, and it's inconsistent. And, you know, if Europe were stronger, the United States wouldn't have to worry about as much about things like Russia invading Ukraine. Russia would have been afraid to do so, I think. Um, so there we are. All right. Uh, last thing with this Palestine, uh, Palestine, Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio. We see that over the weekend, FEMA did, in fact, show up. Uh, over the weekend, we still have not seen the Secretary of Transportation of the President. Sadly, I'm, I'm under the, conclu- the, on the conclusion that it's because 70 percent of that town went for Donald Trump and Ohio's been firmly in the Republicans' column in the last two presidential elections by about eight points. Do you think that's part of the reason why there's an indifference towards the plight well, of this Ohio town? Out, but I think it's much more important in these situations, not, not so much as to whether the high officials visit the sites of these disasters. It's what they do, it's what they do about it. And what we're seeing now is that, that uh, the public is, uh, is tuned in on this now and obviously worried about it and thinks it's you know, requires attention. Now, when FEMA said they they couldn't provide aid, that's because the FEMA's responsibilities include natural disasters. 
This is not a natural disaster. It may very well not qualify for any aid, but it didn't look good. So the next thing you know, they're backing off and saying, well, FEMA's going to go out there, and, and now they are. There's a very great limit as to what FEMA can do. So, yeah. you know, we need to keep these things in mind as we judge these stories. And, you know, I don't think that Pete Buttigieg has distinguished himself in this. Um, but, he, you know, but, but it's not a question so much of where right. he goes is what he does. You know, Brit, you know, it's amazing. You know, people talk about politics and messaging and communications and presence and charisma. I think that you know, what's underappreciated, just doing your job. I mean, Governor DeSantis, his charisma is the same when he won by one point. He just did his job. He took action. And you might not like him, but you go, this guy's always on the move. And I look at Pete Buttigieg, I look at Kamala Harris. They have opportunities. You got a job at the border. Go do it. You want to do voting rights uh uh, awareness in all these states. You never showed up to do it. You spend all your time avoiding interviews. You know, Pete Buttigieg had like six or seven crises, which are opportunities for competent people. Chose not to do it. Uh, I, I at least go down fighting. Yeah, that's right, Brian. And I think that, you know, if you look back through the history of things, um, the ticket to stardom of many an official has been his or her ability to seize an issue that you know comes into their bailiwick in somewhere uh, uh, among their responsibilities and to to speak clearly about it to take action uh to seem in charge to be in charge and people say well that was impressive um you can't say that about these issues that Pete Buttigieg has been asked to manage, nor about those assigned to Kamala Harris now you know they may be um difficult issues in some cases but you know, if they're assigned to you, you got to do them. And the upside is you got a real opportunity, as you suggested, Brian. And the downside is, you know, if you don't seem to do anything about them, you're hurt. <laughs> right, and you deservingly. If you don't, if you don't try to do the job, you should not get credit because you went to Oxford or because uh, people like you. Um, uh, Britt Hume, thanks so much. Always appreciate it. You, Brett, Brian, great to talk to you as always. All right. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Fox News' own Brett Hume. When we come back, I'm going to squeeze in some calls. I know you have a lot to say over the weekend. Also, your favorite president and why. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. I only have a couple of minutes. So I want to get to as many calls as possible. Remember, you got to open up your favorite president. Uh, Chantel is going to KSEV over in Houston. Hey, Chantel. Uh, hi, Brian. How are you? Great. Favorite president? Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Why? Because, well, I read a book called Lincoln's Melancholy by Joshua Schenck. And I was fascinated. I had not realized the extent of Lincoln's major depression, and I had not realized that he'd been kicked in the head by a horse as a child. And um, he actually felt like he did not have an aesthetic sense, that he could not appreciate beauty. Um, And so just this plus the depression and the ability to function as president and manage a war astounded me. I know. To think they never even saw the age of 60. uh, It's incredible. Chantel, real quick, what's on your mind, though? Um, On my mind? Oh, were you you calling for that or were you calling for? 
Oh, I was just calling for a favorite president. Oh, cool. Uh, Chantel, great. So we got one for Lincoln. Barry, listening to Los Angeles. Hey, Barry. Ronald Reagan. I grew up in the late or Most of what I remember outside my hometown was in the late 70s under Jimmy Carter. Things were really bad. And 10 years later, after Reagan left, I mean, I lived through the, I grew up through the 80s. Nobody else could ask for anything better. You remember, uh, Barry, how they put him down all the time when he was in office? And I think oh, yeah. that even though we won that, uh, you know, he destroyed Carter and, and crushed Mondale, there were still people like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Is You know, yep. he doesn't like uh, minorities and, uh, you know, the hey. Iran-Contra thing. And then I realized how popular he was at his funeral. When yeah. you saw the well, outpouring I, I, of support, yeah. I mean, that's when I said, wait a second. These people have thought twice. I, I remember being a fan of John Anderson. I wanted John Anderson to win in 1980. So, now, I mean, what Reagan accomplished, anybody who grew up when I did, if Reagan's not your favorite president, it makes absolutely no sense. Had leadership so, and a vision, too, uh, and upbeat. Yes. John, level WDBO. Hey, John. Hey, Brian. Good to, to Happy President's Day. Back at um, you. Yeah, I wanted to weigh in on who my favorite president. Ordinarily, it would be Ronald Reagan as well. But in recent years, it has become Martin Van Buren. Why? Well, I tell you, Brian, I turned 60 last year, and I'm 61 now, and my hair is slowly going. Martin Van Buren has the most killer hairdo, and I keep telling him, if, if my hair goes, I am not shaving it. I am using him as a role model. Uh, that's reason number one. Reason number two is there's a Seinfeld episode totally based on Martin Van Buren. So in recent years, he is my favorite. So, okay, so nothing of substance, but you think he's kind of cool because of his hairstyle, and Seinfeld thought he was cool. I know this. He mentored Andrew Jackson. He gave a lot of political support to Jackson, gave him a lot of his strategies, and was a one-term president, had success himself. It's also, when he was president, uh, Jackson was all over it, too, so he was setting a lot of the pace. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Many of you are off today sampling the show for the first time. For that, I'm honored. Others have to decide. Uh, If you're going to listen as a podcast, that'll be your decision. But so glad you're here Uh, for the ones that are. You picked a busy day. Not only a salute to our presidents, where there's a big ceremony at Mount Vernon today for our first president, George Washington. I've been there. You guys got to go visit if you haven't yet. Uh, Number two, we found out the president of the United States was not going to get on Air Force One today. He was in Kiev already. So that was pretty dramatic. He didn't announce anyone. And we'll describe in detail what took place after I do the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The monitoring equipment that they're using to determine things that are safe uh, doesn't give us chemical specificity. It doesn't tell us what chemicals are present. It just says they're below some level. There's plenty of chemicals that can be created from that fire that can be toxic at much lower levels. Uh, There you go. Uh, What was going on right now? That's uh, Peter DiCarlo. He is an expert on chemical weapons from Johns Hopkins. And he was asked... What's going on? Is it safe in East Palestine, Ohio? Pressure is growing on the federal government to step up and the government to start doing some testing uh, and also to have a presence. Where is the secretary of transportation? Suddenly FEMA realizes they need to show up and Donald Trump will go there Wednesday. 
Number two. We were very concerned that China is considering providing lethal support to Russia in its aggression against Ukraine. Uh, and I made clear that that would have uh, serious consequences uh, in our relationship. China is looking for a fight. That's the only way to describe their defiance and arrogance in Munich, beginning not ending with the balloon gate as they consider lethal aid to Russia. When is this administration and our entire country going to realize they were in a cold war that could be a hot war? We'll break it down. Number one. One year later, Kiev stands and Ukraine stands. Democracy stands. The Americans stand with you. And the world stands with you. That's but all your intelligence experts and yourself thought it would last three days. Good job. What at war? About a year in. President Biden surprised the world when he showed up in Kiev and walked the streets. I love it. But now we have to give them the weapons they need in a timely fashion so they can win. Michael Goodwin joins us now from the New York Post. Fox has contributed with a great perspective on what's going on. Michael, pretty dramatic to wake up and see the president in Kiev. Uh, good morning, Brian. Yes, especially given the news over the weekend that China is considering helping Russia more actively with its military role in Ukraine. Uh, I think this is a very dangerous development for a couple of reasons. First, I think it 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 grows out of a sense that America is weak uh, and that China feels that it has nothing to lose with this gambit. Uh, secondly, I think that it does create the possibility of a much wider war uh, in Ukraine. And, you know, when you, when you look at the lineup cards on both sides, you could say, well, I mean, with, with Iran, Russia, and China on one side, and NATO and Europe and America on the other, um, this looks like the makings of a world war. I mean, this is the great powers. All the great powers are involved. Uh, we'll have to see what would happen with Asian countries other than China. But this, this does have the potential to be something that is exploding well beyond uh, this kind of neat, and I use the word in the sense of it's contained within Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine and and the NATO countries supplying material but not manpower. If China gets involved, uh, that suggests a big escalation on that side. And it's hard to believe that there won't be more calls for escalation. And on on the Ukraine side. And that's a very dangerous thing, if only be dangerous for America, because Europe is already pulling back. Germany has been a reluctant partner all along. Uh, many of the other European nations are not well armed themselves. Poland is now ne- nervous about its uh, Closeness to the battle uh, is wanting more American troops on its soil. This thing could spiral uh, in ways that I think we haven't we haven't even talked about before. But it, it, if the president just got them the weapons they need right away, this wouldn't be an escalation. It would be, oh, yeah, they're going to get tanks, they're going to get F-16s, they're going to get attackums and high mars. Instead, it's a big, long debate on everything. And by the time they put them in, train them on them, more people die, more power stations are blown up, more hospitals are targeted, more kids are adopted. Give them what they need and let them fight. And then the thing is, Ukraine doesn't want this fight. 
This was thrust on the world for the first time in 60, 70 years in Europe by a aggressive Russia who, because we didn't confront him in Georgia and we didn't confront him adequately in Crimea, now we're in a situation where Ukraine's confronting them. If they're not stopped here, NATO will definitely be confronting Russia. And generations before will go, what were you thinking of when they gradually gained steam and gradually gained experience fighting? Well, and, and the China aspect, I think, does call into question, too, uh, Biden's strategy up to now. Because the strategy has effectively been to keep the war going. Not to give Ukraine what it needed to win, but just to survive and defend itself. And that may have made sense at one point. But when you, when you uh, combine that with the Chinese adventuresome, the, the, the balloon, the surveillance, the aggression about Taiwan, uh, you, and, and it looks to me as though China is saying, we're not getting much pushback. I mean, the whole thing with the balloon, I think, was very telling that Biden let it drift across America, uh, then shot it down. China demanded an apology, would not apologize itself, but demanded an apology, uh, and, and now is upping the ante by letting it be known that it might uh, well begin to arm Russia in a new way. I mean, they've already been helping Russia in terms of oil purchases, etc. But I have to believe, Brian, that, that China's new aggression is very much tied to what it sees as an American hesitancy. I mean, uh, we, you and I have talked many times about Afghanistan and the, and the haphazard, deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan. It led to this. It led to this, and now this is leading potentially to something far greater. I mean, it all goes back to weakness, doesn't it? That the idea that if you want to avoid war, prepare. If you want to, if you want peace, uh, you know, prepare for war. And Biden has only prepared for peace. And I think it looks like, to me, the. The world is outflanking him. Our adversaries are outflanking him. They're looking at him and seeing weakness and hesitancy. They're seeing a weak Europe, a divided America. I mean, this is flashing go for our adversaries. It's a green light for them. All right. So uh, here's what John Sullivan said, the former U.S. ambassador to Russia under him. Uh, Here it is. Cut 12. Kind of backs what you're saying. It is an incredibly important moment, and I think some of the criticism has been fair. It has been, I think, the administration, of which I was a part until recently, has been a little slow, has been cautious. President Biden, uh, the the marching orders we got at the start of of this conflict was he wanted to do everything we could to support Ukraine, but he didn't want a war with Russia. And that's the careful balancing act that we've, the administration has been going through. Yeah, that's it. You can't split the difference when it comes to war with Afghanistan. I want to get out. But how you got out defines how many more conflicts we're going to have. And that's part of the reasons why Iran feels secure, giving those uh, those uh, those uh, suicide drones over to Russia. And that is why China, perhaps, is thinking maybe I will give lethal aid to that country. Here's what Thomas Friedman, of all people, said about this. Cut 27. If you go back to the start of the war, um, President Biden spoke with President Xi and Jake Sullivan spoke with uh, his Chinese counterparts. They made one 
major point. You will not intervene militarily in this war on Russia's side. And if you do, it will affect your two largest export markets, the European Union and the United States of America. The fact that a year later, China is considering that, according to the administration, I find harrowing. They're not afraid. And that's the New York Times liberal columnist, Thomas Friedman. Right, right. No, look, I think this is a very serious development. And it's not something that I think the administration saw coming. I mean, that, I, mean I, I rarely agree with Tom Friedman. Uh, I haven't agreed with him, I think, for 20 years or so. But uh, on this one, he's right that, that the administration has been slow. So it's always sort of let Russia go first and then let Ukraine come and ask for more and we'll give a little more. But what it's created is a stalemate. And Russia shows no signs of backing down, quite the opposite. Putin appears willing to up the ante with a fresh assault uh, in the spring. So it, it, it hasn't worked. Right. And I think one of the reasons it hasn't worked is this sense that ultimately Biden will fold, that people look at him and see weakness. Now, China has been talking about this for a very long time, about American weakness. Some of it's propaganda for their own people, but some of it's true. We have to admit that, that that there is a weakness now about this administration. Uh, Jake Sullivan is like a boy in, in, you know, trying his first pair of pants on, the national security advisor. I mean, he's woefully unprepared for this job. Blinken looks to be in over his head. I mean, he speaks the speak. He talks the talk of the diplomatic language. But he, too, seems to be behind the curve and is, I think, fundamentally not taken seriously by our adversaries. And, of course, that goes back to Biden. It goes back to our military. I mean, when Mark Milley called the Chinese equivalent uh, during the Trump years and said, ignore him, and blah, 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 do you think, do you think China didn't say, wow? That's crazy. What kind of country is that? So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just chaos. I, I have no patience yeah. for Mark Milley. I'm done. I just think, yeah. number one, the, with the amount of weaponry we got there, the way the Ukrainians are fighting, the knowing who they're fighting, diminishing Russia, a lot of this stuff works in our national interest. The armaments they're using are American armaments. These American companies providing it, we should be doing immediate purchases to replenish our stocks as well as have, to, I think, Deloitte is auditing to make sure this stuff is being used in the right way and not being resold. Josh Rogan writes about what happened in Munich. He said the Chinese uh, are bragging. The United States requested the meeting and stated that Wang told Blinken, his counterpart, he should acknowledge and repair the damage that his excessive use of force caused to U.S.-China relations, essentially demanding the United States apologize U.S. officials now say that the balloon did initially get diverted by the wind, but then Beijing took advantage as evidenced by its hovering over sensitive U.S. military equipment. Several congressional aides told Josh Rogan the Biden team's effort to pursue a more stable U.S.-China relationship, while understandable, comes at a cost. Their administration is in a courtship mode, the aides say. It backs off from applying pressure on China on a range of issues. So when you're not applying pressure and tariffs and... Uh, restrictions, you're in the courtship mode, and they're not in it. So there's only one people, one person courting. Yeah, and, and what's, what's fascinating, Brian, about that whole sequence is 
they they uh, send a balloon over our country and are surveilling our military sites, and we shoot it down, and they demand an apology. Uh, I mean, that's chutzpah. But that's the nature of this relationship. We're begging them for a meeting. I mean, the whole remember, the whole thing, uh, uh, Blinken was going to go despite the balloon until the balloon became public knowledge. Absolutely. And, 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 the, and the White House then felt trapped and had to had to postpone the meeting. But as we see, it was postponed for effectively a week. So Blinken sort of begs and gets a meeting in Munich. It's not formal a meeting. It's on the sidelines. Uh, but it's a meeting in which China scolds America, and America comes away fearful that China is going to enter the war in Ukraine. I mean, these are extraordinary sequences of events that all point in one direction. America is now something of a supplicant, something of the, the, junior, the junior role in this relationship. When did that happen? How did that happen? Uh, well, I mean, what I love is we're building up the Philippines base. I love that we're expanding the Guam base. I love that we're helping uh, Japan double the size of its uh, of its defense uh, spending, and we're going to supply a lot of the weaponry. I like that we're going back to military exercise in the region, and I like the CHIPS Act. So I'll give them all those things. But what I like to do is put these tariffs on and then re- remind Europe that you are not to buy any of their goods and trade with China. If they put any weapons into that theater, into Russian hands, they lose the European market and they lose the American market at the be- the most feasible, possible, plausible way. That's what's got to happen from here. But you're right. Right now, it's a junior partnership. The good news is we got all the potential to take it right back with the right leadership. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. That, uh, listen, your turn next. one 866 Not only do I want to hear your input on these two breaking news, the president going over to Kiev and then going back to Poland, hopefully safely, but I also want to find your favorite president and why. I, we got one person said Martin Van Buren because they liked his hair. Interesting. Thought it was more substantive, but you're allowed to. Anything you want. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Wow, the lines are jammed. Hey, let's start out with Mike listening to New York. Hey, Mike. Happy President's Hi. Day. Hey, happy President's Day to you, too. So who's your man? Who? Uh, George Washington. For what reason the, specifically? The there could be 20 million, but. Yeah, no, the general. Um, he would be my favorite president. Uh, and um, you know what? He wouldn't want, well, I want a President's Day. You know, so he, people say that, that the last thing he ever wanted was a President's Day. I just think also, so ironic when he left, he, he was worried about how our parties were going to divide the country. And they asked him to stay for a third term. He goes, no, half the people would hate me and half the people would love me. Right now, I'm going to leave on top. Boy, was he right. Uh, well, th- he, if, if it wasn't for him, I might not be here. He, uh, he had both of my great-grandfathers served under him at Bunker Hill and at Valley Forge. So by him taking care of him, maybe that's why I'm still around today. That is awesome. What type of legacy memorabilia do you have from your, grand, uh, from your uh, legacy from both sides? Anything? Well, I've 
I've tracked them. I found where they're buried. I've gone through. I've joined myself. I've joined the SAR and become a member of that. I uh, also had an ancestor at Gettysburg killed the first day, so I am a Civil War reenactor. Uh, love the history. Love your books. Um, so, do you, do, Mike, and, do you have any artifacts from back then? Did anyone hold on to anything, whether it's their mm-hmm. uniforms or? No, nothing from that far back. Nope. That would have been something. It, I mean, can't even find a can't even find a picture because they didn't have photography, and unless you were rich, you didn't have a painting. So fascinating. It's great to have that in your genes, uh, Mike. Thanks so much for sharing your story. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Charlie Hurt. Then we're going to close out with more calls. I see you up there from St. Louis to Albany, New Jersey. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I made very clear to him that China sending a surveillance balloon over the United States in violation of our sovereignty uh, in violation of international law, was unacceptable and must never happen again. Don't want to characterize what they said, although it's safe to say uh, there was no apology. Uh, we are back. Welcome back, everybody. That was uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken being as candid as diplomat can be, saying it didn't go well. He has a pull aside with the Chinese uh, counterpart. And by the way, they should be asking for our forgiveness. Instead, they're angry at us, said we acted hysterically, and then bragged in front of what was left to the Western delegation uh, how the U.S. is out of control and a declining power. With me right now, he's not a declining power. He's a rising star. Uh, Charlie Hurd, Fox News contributor. Even if the Chinese want to say you're a, a declining power, Charlie Hurd, I don't believe the Chinese propaganda. Yeah, no, but you should have seen me like 10 years ago. I was so much stronger. You were was, stronger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am, I am a declining power. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, first off, this is kind of real. So is it's this a- as real as you get. Yeah. We were over in Munich, and, and and they didn't apologize, and they said, you better not send any balloons <laughs> so, over here anymore, and they didn't even guarantee they wouldn't yeah, do that. But, see, but part of the problem with this is, other than the fact that these people are just fundamentally unserious, and and uh, China is laughing at us, but a big reason that China is laughing at these people is because, you know, to listen to Blinken talk or Biden or, or any of these people talking about American sovereignty after what they have done to our own border it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Along These, with fentanyl, yeah, all of it, and 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 of course the fentanyl, which you know is a is a, you know a, a one of the many China plays going on, and uh, the administration absolutely lays over backwards for every bit of it, and then for them to start complaining about party balloons and our sovereignty at that moment, we just look absolutely ridiculous, and it, and it really is. It's very worrisome, especially when you look at at uh, you know across you know at other hotspots in the world today, like Ukraine. When when I, you know, we're on this side of anything really bad happening in, say, Taiwan, but, you know, it, it really the, the best investment, like diplomatically is to prevent bad things from happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I have no faith that these people have any always idea. reacting, always. Reacting. Yeah. And so there, there's over 40 countries that said that these Chinese surveillance balloons have been over their country. You don't think we can unify those 40 countries and say, listen, I just want to tell yeah. you from here on in, yeah. they're going down. Yeah, there's nobody that doesn't have the ability uh, to take down these Chinese balloons. One thing I was worried about, and I've said this to you in confidence, I was worried about the the growth of the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, and well, I said, that's "How not are we a declining to- power? No, they are, they're on the they're, they're on the rise. Yeah, and they're and they're uh, militant. Can you imagine being the twelve year old looking at you like flat you know, on your iPad?" 
And all of a sudden, it's like, Dad, what happened to my balloon? I was tracking it, and it just got blown up. The next thing you know, the FBI are calling. The FBI are interviewing but how awesome the Northern Illinois bottle cap. I mean, how, I, mean, I mean, think about, like, the posters, the uh, you know, Heather Locklear, F-16s. Think about the posters you had over your bed right. when you were growing up. Imagine if, like, you had, you know, you have, you have your balloon posters because you have your little hobby balloon. And you could look up at that and know that a half a million dollar Sidewinder missile was – it took two of them to take that thing down. How psyched would you be? You'd be I'd like, be, I'd you, be excited. I'd be excited for me and sad for my country. Uh, yeah, yeah. And by the way, just a minor question. I, I, no one has answered this. What happened to the one that missed? Right. Where, where did it go? Well, I you mean, know, one of the describing to me is that they've never really had something to shoot at that didn't have any heat around it. Evidently, it's heat. It's yeah, I get, it. to I, I get that, yeah. The I mean, other thing is, I've too, seen the movies. I asked Michael Waltz, and Michael Waltz is like, I'm going to give the Air Force endless hell about this because he's an <laughs> Army guy. And so the other thing is, how can you as a pilot go, uh, yeah, I'm not going to shoot this? It's just like, <laughs> I don't want to bomb a family of four at a wedding. You could you call off a mission. You could, or you could, you could actually have, have deployed one of those little biplanes with the two wings, you know, with the wing walker. And just had a little like pen. the Red Baron, yeah. And then and just flown by it, and the guy just leans, you know, Charlie Chaplin, right. leans over the wing. That's and what you do. And by pick, the way, these pick. these ro- these rockets weren't armed; we're shooting through them. Oh, so they weren't even armed. No. So did they take the did they take the warhead off? Because yeah, armed uh, and evidently, this, yeah, yeah, we took we they I, I couldn't put okay, together but it still lands somewhere. And and I mean, remember all the concern about the the weather the Chinese balloon, the three buses landing in Montana. Well, I mean, I would I would rather have a three bus thing land in like the woods yeah. than have one of these empty disarmed sidewinders come through my middle school. I mean, the first time and- they first time they lied is when they said we didn't want to shoot it down over Montana because we're afraid of hurting somebody. And then everybody in Montana goes, "Really? Have you been to Montana? <laughs> we're not even here. We're not here." Yeah. So they said, "You're going to hit a moose. Like, you hit a moose or a caribou." Right. And they go, "I'm in Montana. Shoot it down." All right, you're never going to hit me. Plus, it's going down slowly, and you get out of the way. Yeah, you get out of the yeah. way. We- but but then but then uh, Blinken or some Kirby or somebody was talking about how it loitered, which I just love the idea that we have loitering now, as if things aren't bad enough. Now we have Chinese balloons loitering. I mean, loitering is like malingering. I mean, that's really loitering is really bad. Right. I, I there's and, so much there's so much disturbing. I mean. We they, just have to survive another two years of the worst foreign policy. The amount ever. of loitering that goes on in New York City, where they they loiter and smoke weed, right? And the, I don't know if the balloon was smoking weed, but it was loitering, and that does suggest that it had some sort of propulsion, right? So I mean, you oh, know, it was being steered by China. Yeah, I so mean, it's not it was, even. There's no doubt about it. They yeah. said it was absolutely being steered. So now they're trying to give China a break and saying it was blown off course, but then they didn't. And then China, and China was like, oh, it just got, you know, it just got carried by the winds. So I was talking to Josh Rogan. He says it's farcical to think that they, now the news story is President Xi didn't know that the military was doing this and they was surprised as anybody. Oh, right, right. So right. Josh Rogan said that is preposterous. It's civilian leadership. Right. It's the a, Chinese yeah, military. Right. We know there's a big rift between the, the military. And, it's the checks and balances in the Chinese system of communism. Right, uh, which I didn't know there was one. But just um, – so just looking at what China is, Thomas Friedman of all people says – who said in the beginning, notice how China is backing off and letting Russia be exposed for the third-rate power it is. Now he is concerned. Cut 28. It's interesting. I think China, first of all, they would like the war prolonged because it keeps us tied down and we're burning through all our 
our weaponry and all our uh, military stocks. I think also they, um, they like a weak Russia uh, that's forced to be economically dependent on them, but they don't want a collapsed Russia. That's a very bad signal for Taiwan that if the West could take Russia down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Chinese are, w- might be concerned about that. But I think you cannot underestimate, you cannot exaggerate how important it would be if China did that. Then this becomes a true world war. It affects every global market. Right. And um, we're in a completely new world. And he was responding to the revelation that Anthony Blinken brought forward. They have this new thing of exposing all their intelligence. Like, look, Russia's going to invade. Russia's going to invade. They don't have a policy to stop them. But when they invaded, they said, I told you. Now they say China is considering giving them weapons, giving Russia weapons. So if they go ahead and do that, they say that's a game changer. Yeah. All of Western Europe has got to be a no-go zone for all their markets as well as the U.S. in a time in which economically they're not doing well. Yeah. No, and arresting and, billionaires. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the problems that they have, um, not to minimize the threat of China, uh, obviously – because, I mean, I think we have minimized the threat of China for a long time, and it's led to a lot of the problems we have right now. But uh, that, at the same time, it's also true that they have monumental problems within their own uh, – within their own, you know, domestically, uh, with their own uh, economy. And, and, and I don't have any faith whatsoever that, that this administration um, uh, has, any, uh, it, it has any sort of thoughtful, logical uh, – reasoning or strategy for exploiting any of that um and and you know and it's and to me it's just like the ukraine the ukraine situation uh, you know if you if you don't prevent it from happening in the first place you're left with nothing but bad options and that and that's terrifying and 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 you know when we look at taiwan you know i you know i don't i i don't know what i, I don't know what you do ex- but but everything has to be geared towards containing China Absolutely. when it comes to that. Uh, this is a, a situation where you need elite skill. You need an Eisenhower. You need yeah. a Truman. You need somebody that's been there before. You need Reagan to be somebody to be feared. Yeah. And Trump was so, feared because they couldn't figure him out. Yeah, but this is somebody that is always reacting. He's, he never prepared him with HIMARS, never prepared him with the missile defense, never said, where's, where's the invasion coming from? So now, next you know, we're doing everything backwards. Yeah. So so this uh, to me, this goes to the very heart of the problem politically for people who want this to work out for Ukraine and for supporters of Joe Biden. You know, the 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 loss of the lack of confidence in Joe Biden to execute what he's doing in a sensible way is pretty frightening for a lot of people. I have no faith in General Milley. I right. have no place in Secretary right. of Defense Austin. I mean, over the weekend, I'm seeing all this stuff about having having equity meetings at the Pentagon. Oh, my. Our oh, number oh, one my, meeting is oh, equity. My. Are you nuts? You should yeah. be meeting about China yeah. and finding a way to fan out our forces and how to expand quickly Guam and uh, if you're If you're worried about offending people, you're not focusing on killing people, which is the lethality has to be the – only thing our Department of Defense needs to be concerned with, and uh, and I sort of joke about it, but it, it, it's sort of true. You know, I, I, we should return the name of the Department of Defense to the Department of War because that is what it's all about. If you are not a lethal killing machine that frightens everybody, then you're not doing your job. And every minute they spend on this stupid, idiotic nonsense, um, it's terrifying. But but you know, going forward, and and this is you know. 
it, it's going to get it's going to get since 9-11, every single election except maybe 2020 has been defined by war one way or the other, whether it was in Democratic primaries or in general elections. You know, going back to, you know, <laughs> what Hillary lost in 08 because she didn't because she voted for the war. Barack Obama didn't. You can go through all of it. And, I, I, you know, something that we're not really talking a whole lot about right now, uh, but we, I think we will be talking about more and more over the course of the next year and a half, is that th- this – the war effort in Ukraine is going to wind up being a, pol- a, a very potent political issue. Absolutely. And, and see, I'm, I, I know we differ on this, and I'm, I totally respect that, but to me, you, you have to do everything to help Ukraine. But I do have to audit everything that goes in. Yeah. And I wanted to get them what they need right away. And I'll just give but, you an example. Uh, HIMARS, they said no. We end up giving them HIMARS. No harpoons, we end up giving them harpoons. No Patriot missiles, we end up giving Patriot missiles. No tanks, we end up promising tanks. So excuse me. You end up giving them all these things. Now they said they, they wanted all these things to begin with. How much? Be, how many more people would be alive right now if you gave this these, these great fighting men and women the ability to fight a fair fight against a uh, against an invading force. Yeah. So if I were to analyze the the domestic political debate over this, there are those who are in favor of you know doing everything the U.S. can do to help Ukraine, and those who don't want to have anything to do with it. But I think actually the movable people are sort of there in the middle, and the and for them the argument is, okay, the bear has been poked, meaning Putin. And Putin is on the march in Ukraine. And I think a lot of the people who don't really like the idea of being involved also agree that, well, once you get into a fight like this, you can't just walk away. You can't, like, cede territory to a madman lunatic. And to me, if Republicans are smart, that's going to be where they fight that fight is on that ground among those people who – are really pissed that Joe Biden is such an idiot and did so much to destroy American energy independence, which allowed Putin to invade in the first place. And then, uh, and that, but, but at the same time, they it's dangerous to walk away from a madman like Putin. I just asked Ron DeSantis, this, obviously a JAG officer in the military, right. and he want, I think he's going to be set to run for president soon. You'll be interested to see what he have to say about that. Yeah. We'll discuss that in 2024. I also, uh, I don't usually do this. Uh, but maybe take a couple of calls on uh, your. I need to know your favorite president, so you have three minutes to think about it. And I've asked you the mean callers in history. Him. Yep. Oh, that's... you don't have to answer yet. Oh. Back in a moment. My three perfect. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Uh, Charlie Hurd is here. So, Charlie, let's talk a little 2024. First off, I had a chance to talk to Ron DeSantis on Fox and Friends um, with my co-host. He is uh, meeting with police today. He's going through to uh, Chicago, New York. Yeah, New York. And he's going to go to Philadelphia. But when I asked him about uh, Ukraine, here's what he said. I'm reminded of uh, when he was vice president, Obama and Biden uh, opposed providing 
lethal aid to Ukraine during those years. Uh, and then I'm also reminded that I don't think any of this would have happened but for the weakness that the president showed during his first year in office, culminating, of course, in the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. So I think while he's over there, I think I and many Americans are thinking to ourselves, okay, he's very concerned about those borders halfway around the world. He's not done anything to secure our own border here at home. We've had millions and millions of people pour in, tens of thousands of Americans dead because of fentanyl. And then, of course, we just suffered a national humiliation of having China fly a spy balloon clear across the continental United States. So we have a lot of problems accumulating here in our own country that, that he is neglecting. Your thoughts about his answer? No, Biden is the way he's exactly right about this. Biden is the worst messenger on earth. The last time he was in office, Russia invaded Crimea. Now uh, Russia's invaded Ukraine. It's it, it, there's something about Joe Biden. The smell of Joe Biden just invigorates Vladimir Putin. And and I I I'm, I fear it invigorates tyrants everywhere who think that that I got um, two years to get it done. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, but do you like and, his and, answer and also, politically? It's, I mean, we're probably oh, yes. going to be tackling no, this every gonna, day. No, no, it, no. This is going to be a defining issue in 2024. But, but again, let's not forget. The but my re- follow up was, the, I mean, the, my follow up would have been had I had two co hosts that had different uh, questions asked. My follow up would have been, okay, but this is it. What would you do now? Right, which I think is the that's the most fruitful part of the of the discussion. That's where the rubber hits the road. But um, but the other thing, and it, it just has to be said a, a billion times that you can't. The reason Vladimir Putin had the money to invade Ukraine is because this president decided to do this war on American energy independence, and it jacked up the the, the price of oil around the world, which made prior to that. Putin didn't have a didn't have anything. And uh, and because gas prices were low, oil prices were low. And uh, but Joe Biden's personal policies allowed this to happen. Uh, Charlie, I'll add something else. Uh He greenlighted Nord Stream 2 and and, and continued with his missile missile agreement that they're cheating on. Yes. So he he imported that as not only did they have Nord Stream 1, they had Nord Stream 2. And by the way, Vladimir Putin's the stupidest man on the planet because he actually had the best of both worlds because he was able to sell oil, natural gas. We were diminishing our leadership role. And then he went ahead and destroyed and exposed his whole military as a third-rate military and and cost himself And because things are so bad with China and Russia right now, we're not even talking about Iran. You know what Iran is doing right now? They're they're processing uh, uh, uranium uranium to To 84%. Yeah, this is insane. All of it is— All related to their bad decisions. Yes, and and their their nuclear deal. Having said that, my header is, and see if I can get you to agree on this, everything you said is correct, and I think it's indisputable. Just stop there. Okay. I'd like to add one more thing. Let Ukraine win. They fight like everybody else should be fighting and get them what they need to be successful. Would you say yes to that? Um, I, I, it's really hard to poke a bear and walk away. I will say that. I think there's a yes. Joey Hurt, thank you. Might not be. He backed off, so that means no <laughs> yes. Brian Kilmichel. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Wow, what a President's Day. This is not one of those days where you go, oh, too bad everybody's on vacation. There's no news. Uh, that's not the case at all today. Happy President's Day. Hope you're off. Uh, if you're not or if you are, I'm just so glad you're listening. Andy McCarthy's coming up shortly. 
And then we are going to be joined by Bobby Barak of OutKick. I'm going to provide some insight there. Uh, And we'll take your calls. And the the only thing I ask is not only uh, what you have on your mind, but just answer me this. Uh, Instead of just your best president, because everybody's going to say Washington or Lincoln, top three. And why? Top three and why? Or I should just say this. Best president, but you can't name Washington or Lincoln because we know they're one or two. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The monitoring equipment that they're using to determine things that are safe uh, doesn't give us chemical specificity. It doesn't tell us what chemicals are present. It just says they're below some level. There's plenty of chemicals that can be created from that fire that can be toxic at much lower levels. That is Peter DiCarlo of Johns Hopkins talking about what the people of East Palestine are dealing with. Anxiety and pressure growing on the federal government to step up and do something. Governor DeWine has done nothing. He's got to be productive. Take on these rail lines. Uh, And by the way, FEMA finally showed up uh, probably two weeks after they said they weren't going to show up. Number two. We were very concerned that China is considering providing lethal support to Russia in its aggression against Ukraine. Uh, And I made clear that that would have uh, serious consequences uh, in our relationship. Well, hopefully you sounded just as stern as you did there. China's looking for a fight. That's the only way to describe their defiance and arrogance in Munich, beginning not ending with Balloon Gate, as they consider lethal aid to Russia. When is this administration and our entire nation going to realize we're in a Cold War that could be hot? We'll break it down. Number one. One year later, Kiev stands and Ukraine stands. Democracy stands. The Americans stand with you. And the world stands with you. War about a year in. President Biden surprisingly goes to Kiev, shows up, walks the streets. I think it's great. Now he needs to give them what they need to win. And the rest of the world's got to do the same and be embarrassed if they're not, which Germany and France got to do more. Andy McCarthy always does a lot. Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for Southern District of New York, best-selling author, Ball of Confusion, uh, and is with us again. Uh, let's, uh, Andy, welcome back. Brian, how are you? I'm doing good. I want to skip over my first two and go to the third story, and that's it over to Ohio. And I'm seeing these chemical experts talking about I've never heard of a detonation. And then Peter DiCarlo saying once you do detonate these chemicals, they become something different. You're testing for the wrong thing. And I'm saying to myself, these people are going to have a heck of a lawsuit. First and foremost, they have to wonder about what these officials are telling them for their long-term health. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the I think we saw this with the pandemic as well, Brian. A, a lot of the stuff that people say at the beginning, um, you know, I, I, if you deal just with the people who who are are actually acting in good faith, but really don't know, um, or you, or at least they don't have any ill intention, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Um, you know, you, you think that. Um, they're just spouting things that they think will be helpful, but will prove wrong over time. And if people rely on them, they're going to have a, you know, they'll have a huge lawsuit to bring. And then there are others who just intentionally lie. So, you know, I think we're in the, um, we're in the fog of war stage of this where people don't really know what they're dealing with. And because they're government officials, they feel like they have to say something. And I, you know, I think, will end up finding that a lot of what they're saying is just wrong. I know so little about trains, uh, but I cannot believe we can't keep them on the tracks. And how can you possibly be cutting your workforce down at a time in which you, you, you evidently are making huge profits, 
You're giving a, to a lobbyist a whole bunch of money, and we got a thousand derailments. There's already been three from the same company since this whole incident happened two and a half weeks ago. I just want to—I don't want to spend all this time because I do want to get to the border, which you wrote about. But here's Peter DeCarlo, Johns Hopkins professor of environmental health. Listen to this exchange. Cut thirty-two. The monitoring equipment that they're using to determine things that are safe uh, doesn't give us chemical specificity. It doesn't tell us what chemicals are present. It just says they're below some level. There's plenty of chemicals that can be created from that fire that can be toxic at much lower levels. So what would you say to residents who have returned to East Palestine? I would ask, I would, I would suggest that they ask for more testing um, of surfaces in their homes, um, understanding and getting the results from, from air sampling um, that has been done by the EPA, but I haven't seen any results posted since February 9th. I mean, think about this. If you just get these experts, every time you pull someone out of the situation that has no axe to grind or horse in the race, they say stuff like this. We're testing for the wrong thing. Yeah, but then he says, and then he follows that up with, I think we should have more testing. So um, I don't mean to I don't mean to be, uh, to be flip about it, but, you know, I think he's... The first thing he said is absolutely right. We may be testing for the wrong things, um, though more testing for the wrong things is not going to help. Uh, so if he says we're testing for the wrong things, you know, tell us what we should be testing for, make the case for it, and then, you know. But I, but in the meantime, you know, you can't wait forever. The people right now are dealing with bad air and bad water. Right. Um, you know, uh, we don't have like forever to get this right. And the other thing, Andy, is they're being handed forms saying you want a thousand dollars to get you to make ends meet. They're working class people. I think about eighty percent live paycheck to paycheck. Now you got to go buy bottled water. Excuse me, uh, I wasn't buying bottled water, or right. now I got to go do this, or I can't work for two weeks. Well, whatever the situation is, my life's been altered. But they have you signing forms. You got to make sure you're not signing off any possible lawsuit down the road. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Like you have to make sure that what you're, you know, the, the, this is very hard for for ordinary people for you know just the reasons that you suggest. You know, this is not their line of work, but obviously you have to be careful about what you're signing. So you write a column today. Uh, impeachment is the only weapon left to fight uh, the Borden's, uh, the uh, Biden's border sabotage. I mean, by all accounts, this looks intentional. Now we understand the northern border is up, crossings are up 188 percent. They're asking people on the southern border where they're undermanned to go voluntarily to the north border. So let me say I'm going to leave 70 degree weather for five degree weather uh, to go fight in the northern border where I'm going to need snowshoes uh, to look for who? Mexicans, because the cartels are flying them in there and sneaking them in through Canada. Do you believe we're looking at this? Yeah, and I think, Brian, the amazing thing is the people who are being shifted from the northern border to the southern border, um, it would be one thing if they were shifting them to do, like, actual enforcement work. But they're so overwhelmed on the refo- on the enforcement end that what's happening is they need more people to do the administrative stuff. And what does the administrative stuff entail? Uh, it, basically, it's giving out these Biden paroles which are illegal under federal law, so that they can implement catch and release, which is to say bring people in, uh, process them with their Biden parole, and then relocate them other places in the country, which is completely uh, against federal law on this. I mean, federal law could not be more clear that when people are illegal and they try to enter the country, they have to be detained under federal law. Uh, until their proceedings are completed. And what Biden is saying is 
because we have so many people who want to come in and we only have 30,000 detention spaces, we have to come up with a different alternative from uh, incarcerating them. And I think most Americans would think, yeah, the different alternative is seal the border. Don't let any more people in. Uh, but that isn't what these guys think they uh, they can do. So what what do you do legally? You say we got to bring impeachment is the only thing, even though it's got no prayer. Yeah, because I think that um, look, we're not going to impeach. We're not going to remove Biden from office. And frankly, if you removed Biden and you ended up with Harris, you'd probably be worse off. But the thing is, the framers put impeachment in the Constitution because they thought it would get better behavior out of the executive branch. Biden doesn't want to be impeached. It would rivet the country's attention to what's going on at the border the way nothing else has. And the other thing that would happen is if Republicans filed an article of impeachment and voted it in the House, the rules of the Senate require the Senate to shut down all business to deal with an impeachment trial, which means for three or four weeks or for however long it took, you would have nothing but the country's attention on the border. And Democrats would be in the position, if they wanted to defend Biden on this, um, that they'd have to defend what's going on down there, which is indefensible. Uh, I don't think it would ever come to that, because I think this is the kind of thing that might get Biden to change his policy, which is why you want the credible threat of impeachment. But, you know, given that you don't have a judicial remedy, the court can't do anything about this. And given that Congress is deadlocked, what else do we have left? I know it's so frustrating when I see the story. I know how important it is, but I get frustrated because I've been doing the same thing for two years. The thing I liked about the Trump look at the border when he was doing things that weren't working, I know he was trying and that made it interesting is, okay, you got to push back here. How are you going to do it? This is too abrupt. This is too direct. Uh, This is a threat. This is a tariff. So like we had somebody trying to win. We're trying to fix the border. This guy's trying to break the border and denying it. Yeah, and it's it's even worse than that, Brian, because you know he says um, th- the problem is we're overwhelmed in the sense that we don't have you know we only have these thirty thousand detention spaces. Do you know the Biden budget proposal actually cuts detention space for detention? So on the one hand, they're saying they have to let everybody in because there's an insufficient amount of uh, detention space. And then when they propose their their budget, they cut detention space by, I think it's about 9,000 spaces. So it's it's just unbelievable. I, but it goes to show exactly what you're saying, which is this, this is completely intentional. So listen to what Bill Malusian tweeted out yesterday. Border Patrol leadership is asking for agents to voluntarily deploy to the northern border's overwhelmed Swanton sector, which has seen an increase of 846 percent in illegal crossings since October and saw more illegal crossings in January, 367, than the previous 12 Januarys combined, 344. In an internal email asking for volunteers, a Border Patrol official writes the spike is largely due to Mexican nationals crossing from Canada. That stations are task-saturated, responding to large groups and is contributing to gotaways and pedestrian vehicle incursions. Volunteers have to be ready to deploy on March 1st. Temperatures in sectors are minus 4 degrees. Who's lining up for that? <laughs> yeah, they're not going to get volunteers. But the, other, the main reason, you know, we, look, we have very good people, uh, and they're used to cold weather up north. So, that, you know, that wouldn't scare them off if— uh, uh, all things, all other things being equal, I think that the thing that frustrates the Border Patrol more than 
more than the conditions, which are in many ways, you know, they're the re reverse down south, but they're also very difficult conditions. But what has them dismayed is the same thing that has you dismayed, which is the sense of helplessness. You know, they're just not being allowed to do their jobs. And what is it they're being asked to do at the northern border? Again, they're not going to be doing enforcement work. What Biden has so botched this, and I don't want to say, I shouldn't say botched because botched it, Bot suggests it's uh, it's an unintentional, and I think this is totally intentional. Uh, but the way Biden has structured this, our border patrol are reduced to doing the administrative work wow. of letting people come into the country. They're not even keeping them out. That's not what they're being asked to do. Yeah, and by the way, we had we also asked our air marshals to get off the planes and go to the border and help the processing to get those border patrol back on patrol. Uh, excuse me. Uh, don't we want to make sure our airlines are safe? Wasn't that the whole goal? And if you are taking the air marshals off, it doesn't really work to tell everybody. Can you yeah. text them? I mean, it's just unbelievable. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we have this this government that we spend, you know, we're I guess we're overspending close to two trillion dollars a year. But every time that we need something that actually has something to do with the national security of the American people, we're told that we only have finite resources. And the fact is, if you're not going to staff this and you're not going to send enforcement resources to, to shore up the border, which is what the government's job is, then you're going to have this catastrophe. And it's, it, it cascades because, you know, you're picking off some resources to try to fill this hole, and that opens up you know, other problems. And in the meantime, the, the basic problem remains, which is you're not really doing enforcement at all. It's just processing more people to come into the country illegally. Andy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Pick up uh, and thanks, check Brian. out uh, check out his article. Uh, and it is uh, it is the impeachment is the only weapon left to fight uh, Biden's border sabotage. He believes it like I do. It's intentional. No one can be that inept. Uh, Andy, thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Listen, I see everybody here in the lines on this President's Day, one 866 I'm thrilled. So when we come back, uh, we'll take your calls. And then at the bottom of the hour, Bobby Barak. Inside the what could be the, I guess, the suspension, the, the delay of game. Don Lemon told to go home because of a series of idiotic statements. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Bruce is listening on WABC New Jersey. Hey, Bruce. Hey, thanks for taking my call. No problem. What's on your mind? <laughs> it was actually weird. A couple, uh, three months ago, I took an ancestry DNA test. And it turns out Abraham Lincoln is my seventh great uncle removed. Is that true? Wow. Yeah. Are you tall guy, too? Yeah, I'm about 6'2". It's funny. I kind of look like him. Well, I mean, he he had his mom die, and then he had a, a, a he had a couple of siblings, half siblings. So I could see that happening. So he's your his number one, right? My great his brother would be my great grandfather. Wow, great, great, great. So, 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 so my top three? Yeah, top three. Top three would be number one, Donald Trump. Number two, Abraham Lincoln, and number three, Reagan. Wow, uh, you have Trump over Lincoln. That's unbelievable, but that's great. All right, Bruce, I guess he has your vote next time, right? Absolutely. George, listen on WGDJ over in Great Albany. This is our great station over in Albany, New York. Hey, George. 
Hey, how's it going, Brian? It's a pleasure to get to speak to you. Quick question. Uh, the UN is going to uh, say that the Wagner Group in Ukraine, they're going to they're gonna label them a terrorist organization. And uh, uh, the vice president, uh, who I call Giggles, uh, she said that the crisis in the Ukraine has now turned into a humanitarian crisis. Right. Does this open the door to put boots on the ground in that country? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's anything big. And I don't think UN is going to do this because guess who's on the Security Council? Russia and China. They're not going to go for that. We, the only way to get rid of Wagner Group is to kill them all like Trump did. He killed about 300 of them because they started moving up on our guys and he took them all out. Uh, and they're considered a mercenary group, so not like you're taking out Russian troops. Uh, we got to get rid of this guy. Uh, we got to get rid of this group because they're also in Africa creating havoc, too. Joe in Long Island. Joe, real quick. Brian, good morning. Listen, I, I, great show. This isn't a video game. People are dying over there. I disagree with you. We don't have the weapons. Who invaded who? We, who invaded who? We need to. So if you don't want, if you don't want to fight, you, and there could be no death and destruction if Russia stayed where they belong. Ryan, we need to de-escalate this. This is a, we don't. It's have not up to us. We're dealing with a lunatic. A lunatic. I, I get it. You're not going to win this war. We can't. We got to stop this. We got to. We can't fight. We can't shoot a balloon over our own country. You want to fight 14 hours away? We're not. We're, we're not fighting. Ukrainians are fighting. Ukrainians are fighting. We have to replenish our stocks. I agree with you, Joe. We definitely have to replenish at a rapid rate, and it's all American companies. So I understand that people have angst, but. There's one invader, one aggressor, one evildoer, and it's Vladimir Putin. And you want to go reason with him. It, it, it can't reason with him. He only understands force. And he's being humiliated in front of the whole world. He knows it. And his people know it. More people have left. 200,000 have been hurt or killed. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry, when a woman is considered to be in her prime in her twenties and thirties and maybe forties. What do you talk? Wait, I, that's not according to me. Prime so for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful. That was the worst attempt at neutralizing a Republican woman in the history of man. For more on this, Bobby Barack joins us now, a writer for Outkick. Bobby, welcome back. How big a deal was that? Was that statement? Brian, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, just hearing him say that, I still just can't believe that came from Don Lemon, who has spent the majority of his career lecturing us about racism and sexism and bigotry and the proper speech. And he calls for everybody's discipline when they step outside the line. And here's him saying Nikki Haley is essentially unqualified to be a president because she's 51 years old as a woman. And he, by the way, is 54 years old. Um, it, it's fascinating to see the reaction to this. Um, he is not on air today. CNN has put out a couple of different statements, but a Fox News digital report said that they've essentially benched him until they figure out his future. And Brian, look, I think 
what's going on here is when new president Chris Lick took over at CNN, reports surfaced that he wanted to get rid of the hardcore left-wing partisans, those who shaded the reputation of CNN, and the names were Brian Stelter, Jeffrey Tubin, and Don Lemon. And while Stelter and Tubin were fired, Lemon was just demoted from his more his primetime show. So I think it's clear that Lick doesn't buy in fully to Don Lemon, but for whatever reason, he did not want to dismiss him. I think some of it is is the inevitable racial backlash of firing someone like Don Lemon. You don't get that backlash firing Brian Stelter. So I think what this really does is it gives Chris Lick and CNN an out to get rid of Don Lemon. All Don Lemon had to do was not fall in the trap of sexism, and because now critics say he is sexist, he really was dumb enough to fall into the one trap that could get him fired. So I don't know if his comments really offended Chris Lick as much as he said in his morning meeting Friday, but I do think this gives him an out to dismiss Lemon, who, by the way, should not be at CNN for several reasons, one of which his ratings aren't any good. Uh, Brian, he has set a decade low in the morning since taking over. He has berated several of his colleagues. He's distressed staffers. His, uh, his upside does not even come close to outweighing his downside at this point in his career. Well, I mean, he's one of their bigger names, no doubt about it. I just think he's done so many crazy things early with his co-hosts. You think he wants to get fired. It's almost as if he wants off the show. He doesn't seem upset. Obviously, photographer showing up and he's surfing on the beach. I mean, he's hanging out on the beach as if to say, I don't sweat this. I mean, that's not the, con- that's not the concern look you want from somebody who wants to keep his job. That's what, that's what I think is insane. Absolutely, and I love the quote from the New York Post when they reported on him scolding co-host Caitlin Collins for talking more on set than he liked. They described him as someone who has no interest in participating in Destiny's Child because he thinks he's Beyonce. But here's the truth. He's not Beyonce. He's not a draw. Based on the rating, is only people who despise him more than his female co-hosts and female staffers are viewers. This is a guy who failed in primetime, he's failing epically in the morning. I mean, this is the lowest rated cable news show in over a decade. So he has this attitude where he's Beyonce, he's a leader of the band, and that his co-hosts are just sidekicks. But the viewers disagree. He's not the lead singer, and quite frankly, it seems like his co-hosts, while lesser names, are more popular among viewers than Don Lemon. Uh, a couple other things you, you wrote about recently. You talk about what's going on with the, the youth of this country and have the, yeah. the nervous breakdowns and the anxiety they're feeling. Uh, you think it's good. You date, a lot of it dates back to COVID. I do. Um, I think you, another element of this all is we've seen the rise of cardiovascular disease among young people. And I think a lot of it goes, you look at when these things rise, the CDC provisional data says that cardiovascular diseases among young people has risen since 2021. And, you know, maybe it's because of the vaccine, maybe it's because of anxiety. But we also saw a report last week about anxiety and mental illness among young adults is at the highest levels ever. And, and part of that is I do believe COVID because COVID was affected hard few people more than I would say the mentally ill and those who had to isolate and not see their friends and not go to the classroom, not go to college, not go to work. I mean, Brian, when when somebody is so reliant on the affection of others and communicating with others, and when you lock people down and make them sit in the room, naturally, all they do is start to think, worry, and wonder. And now we know based on new data, 
It was all unnecessary. Young, young, healthy Americans should not have been locked down, and so many were. And you're seeing the, the, the results of that, which is the rise of mental illness, anxiety, the increased use of pharmaceutical prescriptions to treat have you Have you found illness. in the hard numbers on the amount of people that have had uh, problems with their heart since, or does it just seem like we're seeing it more? Yeah, we have. So, you know, I cited it in my column about um, the CDC released provisional data. Um, people between 18 and 39 have experienced more cardiovascular diseases and troubles and irregularities since 2021. Now, 2022 data is not out yet, but expectations are we're also going to see a rise in that. And the point of my column was really the thesis was, look, I don't know what's causing this. I don't know if it's the vaccine. I don't know if it's pharmaceutical drug. Maybe it's opioids. We don't know. But my issue has been when CBS asked Dr. Fauci, are these sudden collapses possibly related to the vaccine? He said, that's a horrifying question. When Tucker Carlson raised this point, you had media outlets like Slate calling for his job. Brian, I believe a journalist and those who participate in science should answer all questions. They should turn over every stone and try to find the truth. So I don't know what's causing this, but I do know that the data says the numbers are up, and we're seeing more and more young people collapse either in sports or on their way to the classroom. And I would like to know why that is, but the people in charge seem to have no interest in finding out why that is. It's a little strange, and I just wonder what happened with the Bills defensive back. If DeMar, why doesn't yeah. he just speak out and say, uh, I've taken three shots, and I think one of those shots could have caused this. Uh, who told him? Why did he just freeze when Michael Strahan asked him, what was the cause of your collapse? A- absolutely. And, and for those that say it's such a dangerous conspiracy to maybe tie it to the vaccine, my response is, well, what, well if that is such a dangerous conspiracy, then DeMar Hamlin could put it to rest. Dr. Fauci could put it to rest. All the journalists who pride themselves on uncovering the truth, they could put that to rest. They're not doing that. All they're doing is vilifying those who ask the question. I consider that the the suppression of curiosity. Until they can rule out all these causes, people have the right to keep on wondering. Unbelievable. Uh, Bobby, thanks so much. Appreciate you joining us. Pick up OutKick and read his columns. Brian, talk soon. Appreciate it. You got it. Meanwhile, let's go over to uh, Bill. Listen on WKIM. Hey, Bill. Hello? Yeah, Bill, what's on your mind? Hey, Brian, what's your opinion of Mike Pompeo's candidacy? I think he's solid. I mean, he's got the great resume. I think he's going to be very consistent. He's extremely smart. Uh, He's got the CIA director, Congress, uh, Select Intelligence Committee, Secretary of State, number one at West Point, served in our military. Uh, He's got an impeccable record. I mean, they tried to nail him on different things that he did. They didn't touch him. And, you know, they're going to come after him on Afghanistan that's where I think he'll separate from the president. I think he'll be solid. He's going to be tough to beat. What do you think he's got? Like Nikki Haley seems to have pizzazz. He just doesn't have that flash that seems to to draw, or at least what I've seen so far in, in the interviews and things that he's done. You know, it's like this. It's uh, you know, Joe Biden has no flash, uh, not able to speak. Um, you know, he was just the best alternative the Democrats had, and the inverse of Donald Trump. Mike Pompeo might be the right person at the right time, might not. But I think that I always like candidates that are experienced, know the issues, and will, and I could just get their opinion. A lot of these people are governors or they're just – they have foreign policy experience, have no idea what's going on domestically or internationally. He's got both. 
So he knows the legislative process, and he knows the diplomatic game, and he also knows the intelligence game of CIA. And he also understands what it's like in the economies, how they've changed and how they're getting more woke and the dangers. And he's writing and written about it. He wrote a book about it, and he's actually been in the Oval, you know, in and around the Oval Office for at least four years. So I think that this guy, to anyone who just dismisses Nikki Haley as, well, she only gets 2%, or Mike Pompeo only gets 4%, it is way too early. Barack Obama was 25 points down Hillary Clinton. We know how that ended up. I, I, I would not sleep on Mike Pompeo. Nicholas lives on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Nicholas. Yes. Hi, Brian. I wanted to make a, just a quick comment on Ukraine. I think it's wrong to say that they ha- winning means Crimea. Crimea was lost in 2014. Uh, we need a negotiating point with Russia. That can be the negotiating point, or we'll be dragged into World War III. Um, we couldn't even defeat the Taliban. Now we're going to go to war with China and Russia, because if they insist on Crimea, the war is going to drag out. We're not giving them fighter jets, and then we're going to say they're going to be able to take right. back Ukraine. I'm, I'm just not willing to go there. I used to think that they could start pushing it back. They, were, they, get, they lost 25 percent of the country. It's down to 15. When they get an offensive going in the spring, and I know and if they can withstand this Russia push, 200,000 inexperienced soldiers, if you don't believe it. A lot of people don't think they have them. But let's say if they can just withstand this push and hold their ground and then get their own and start getting more more area back in the country, he'll be forced to the table, I believe, because he'll have almost nobody left. So that's what I hope for, to get them on the move, pushing the Russians back. Then you see the morale really crater. That's why they got to get the attackums. That's why they got to get the F-16s. And then we'll see what happens because you have no choice. You got to fight this. You can't allow allies to get steamrolled because Russia looked back 250 years ago and says they should have the Ukraine as part of the Soviet orbit. Uh, but I, but I will say, I will say a couple other things about what's gone over there. The president of the United States visit was great, but today he says he's got a more of an announcement. It's got to be F-15s. They need to be able to take the skies and be a danger in the skies and neutralize the Russia in the skies, and they need the attackums. Both those have to be announced today because then they got to get time to stand up and deliver. Almost everything that's been delivered there, he said he wouldn't do. Wouldn't give HIMARS, wouldn't give harpoons. He wasn't going to give the Patriot missile system. He's given all of them now. So just do it. Let them win because just think about it. Are you going to let the Russians win? If we if they if Ukraine start losing town after town, are we just going to go? Oops, there goes two hundred billion. Oops, won't happen again. I'm going to take a time out and come back. I'll take some more of your phone calls, and we'll find out if there's indeed more to know. Appreciate you being here on this President's Day. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I mean, Brian does his weekend show in a thong. That's why he's hitting it out of the park. That was a secret. Uh, it was between two cable. Now I have this visual. What, Jesse? Come I'm sorry. On. I'm sorry. It's a family right, show. Mediaites got its headline. <laughs> Kilmeade is the winner. It was $400,000. Oh, my. Well, congratulations. Yeah, it looks like I'm... Uh, 
I'm off. I'm out of last place. You're out of last place. So I'm probably off the board. Not good enough to win, but good enough to not be in last. But still wearing a thong on Saturday. Oh. Right. That you think. That's that extra bonus secret. points, That's right? bonus points. Right. Another reason to watch Saturdays at 8. <laughs> All right, there you go. That was with Jesse on. Uh, it's amazing how many shows I did. Do you see what I did on Friday? I did America Reports. Then I did the uh, Weather Channel. Then Fox I did. Weather, yes. Yeah, then I did uh, Cudlow. And then I did Jesse's show. And then Saturday, 8 o'clock. I mean, and then Saturday, you never say no to a 11. request to appear on television. Well, I mean, but we got to cross promote. We got to let everybody know we're going to be on at 8 o'clock on Saturday, repeated at 11 Eastern time. And that was one quite Nation. the tease that you were a thong when you do One Nation. It was a playing off of a question about how Derek Jeter got out of a slump. And evidently, his one of these rookies gave him this. It says, oh, it's worked. And he got a hit. For, got a home run. I don't think it was a rookie. Who was it? It was... Um, Oh, is it a veteran player? I think so. Let's find out there's even more to know. More to know. Here we go. Five dirtiest cities in America. Here we go. It's not, uh, none of them are Republicans. They're all Democratic cities. According to a new study released by Lawn Starter, my favorite group, among 152 of the biggest cities in the United States, here are the dirtiest cities. Houston, Texas won the number one slot for dirtiest. Wow. Not New Orleans. New Orleans, filthy. Then Newark, New Jersey, which is on a comeback, by the way. We're in Newark. Doesn't it look better? Certain areas, yes. Okay. (laughs) Very diplomatic of you. San Bernardino, I used to work out there. It was dirty. There's a lot of open space. I used to work in Ontario, uh, California. Uh, Detroit, Michigan. That's not nice. Detroit is, I I thought Detroit was coming back, too. And then Jersey City. I think this is lazy. I don't like going star. Well, I think the way they did the categories, it's pollution, which measures things like air quality, greenhouse gas emissions, living conditions, and the percentage of homes containing mold or rats. So, you know, it's not necessarily you're thinking garbage on the streets. It could be a lot of things. Next, Don Lemon taking a holiday will return on air depending on where his head is at. That's weird. Lemon's absence on Monday was first reported by the Daily Beast, which also reported that Lemon's future the network is uncertain. Quote, there are ongoing conversations about Don's future. The on-air suspension comes after Lemon issued an apology. Lemon's boss, Chris Licht, scolded the hosts on Friday for his comment, calling it upsetting and unacceptable and unfair and a huge distraction. That, of course, saying women... Uh, in, in their 40s, over their 40s, no, past their prime. No, no, if you Google it, you're only in your prime as a woman in your 20s, 30s, and possibly Were you insulted 40s. by that? It was just a You were really... in your prime, though, so that's good news. It's a little According bit, to Don yeah, that is true. But, I mean, it was just such a dumb statement. Also, I mean, if you didn't have all those rumored issues prior to this, do you think they would be sort of punishing them as harshly as it seems like they are? I think this could be this could be this pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I mean, a lot of times you have different opinions and, and it doesn't come out right. But it doesn't seem he regret. He kept doubling, tripling down. I never said anything to the next day to later. So that's crazy. Next, John Rahm, uh, now the number one in the world with a Genesis invitation to win. Tiger Woods struggled. He had a great Saturday. I think he shot a 67. Had a great first round, but he didn't have a good second and fourth round. He uh, ended up shooting a 72 in the final. But, John Rom, congratulations. You're number one by winning the Genesis. You caught in a battle with hometown favorite uh, Max Homa at the Riviera. You delivered two big moments with a 45-foot birdie from the fringe on a par three on the 14th hole. Then a tee shot uh, to get him within two feet for the birdie on the 16th hole. I'm watching that series on Netflix on the golf. And they were doing the series anyway. They profiled two players at a time. And then the live thing comes out with all these big-time players going to Greg Norman's league. So it created an incredible drama. You guys got to watch it. 
I'll have to check it out. I want this isn't on this list here, but what did you think about Friday when it broke that Tiger Woods had to apologize for his joke when he handed uh, Justin Thomas a tampon? I think it threw up his whole round. Do you? Because the controversy, obviously. If he uh, didn't have to apologize, do you think it still would have thrown him off? Well, and if we didn't find out about it. Yeah. I, I, mean, I thought it was first. funny, though, but it's like, why Why did right. he apologize? Because he outdrove him, and they gave him, he gave his, uh, he gave uh, John Thomas, uh, just, uh, Justin Thomas, Justin Thomas, a tampon. As if, like, you're a woman, I'm I'm, I'm out driving yeah. you, like, almost you should be on the ladies' tees. Yeah. But it was a but private joke. But they're best buddies. Yeah. So it was a private joke. It's Tiger trying to be one of the guys. He's not one of the guys, right? I mean, he's just not. The, he's He's an elite. Everybody wants to be that, but he's not one of the guys. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.